0: Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com or at FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch With Jen. Hope you're all doing well and coping with what I wouldn't call necessarily the second wave since the first wave never really ended, but the resurgence now that people jumped the gun on reopening of COVID. It's crazy right now. I am recording this in Arizona, which was just labeled in the press as the number one hotspot in the globe for the virus. So kind of want to be anywhere but here and that's basically what movies are good for right now is distracting us and keeping us from totally fixating on the news or the events going on outside our windows and doors. And I really hope that you enjoyed the most recent episode of Watch With Jen, which dealt with time travel to really get you the hell out of 2020, and I had a lot of fun going over some great time travel movies and just mentally venturing back into the worlds of those films for a good half hour or so. And I cannot believe that this episode today marks the 15th episode of Watch with Jen. There have been 16 of the Watch with Jen and Friends episodes, the conversational ones that I have with guests. Our most recent guests were Brianna Ashby and Travis Woods, both of Brightwall Dark Room. Both fabulous, and you have so many cool people ahead to look forward to. Last week I spoke with two podcasters, one of them was Travis. This week it was two award-winning crime novelists. And next week I speak with two independent filmmakers and a film researcher, someone who specializes in classic movies. So I'm trying to make sure that I'm getting as many different interests and walks of life represented on the show to hopefully give you some great recommendations and also acquaint you with these wonderful people. A question I asked on Twitter recently was, without of course tagging them in the post, I wanted to know what type of people that you would like to hear on Watch With Jen. I'm hoping to get somebody involved in music since we've had so many writers on, great writers, and it's great to talk to some filmmakers, maybe some more entertainers, comics, that kind of thing. So I'm hoping to branch out and get new points of view represented. So I wanted to know what you were looking for for guests. Obviously I'm still starting out so I probably can't get like the top names, but I will try to look for somebody who's in an industry or works in a part of a career that you would like to learn more about if possible. So do reach out if you don't want to send me a message on Twitter or just tweet at me. You can also reply to this post on Patreon or send me a message through Patreon as well. But now that I've gotten all of that out of the way, I'd like to go ahead and jump into this week's films. I'm starting with one of my personal favorites, definitely a favorite from the filmmaker, Wit Stillman, who is a great writer-director, just such a strong, sharp wit. The movie in question is Barcelona from 1994. I know it isn't necessarily his most popular title, most people when they think of Whit Stillman, tend to go for Metropolitan, which I believe was the first Witt Stillman Criterion Collection title, but this was actually the first Witt Stillman movie that I happened upon, just renting movies and watching film voraciously. I would pretty much, growing up, go to the video store and just scoop up all of the new releases, also venture into the other sections. I lived near some great stores including a few mom and pop shops that offered two for a dollar or five for five for five days. So I would come home with tons of movies all of the time and Barcelona was one of these that I just happened to rent. I think I even just checked it out because it was new and it starred Mira Sorvino even though she plays kind of a supporting character in the film. Barcelona was of course. and directed by Wit Stillman. It stars Taylor Nichols and Chris Eigman, who were the same stars of Metropolitan. They also starred in The Last Days of Disco and Criterion has released a really gorgeous set. You can get it in DVD or Blu-ray. I own the Blu-ray of the trilogy of films because Stillman does kind of consider these a series of movies. It's said that he called it the doomed bourgeois in love series. This would be the second film of the trilogy. The first was Metropolitan from 1990, this is 1994, and then the third was The Last Days of Disco from 1998. In Barcelona, Taylor Nichols plays Ted Boynton, an uptight Chicago salesman who lives and works in Barcelona, Spain in the early 1980s. this is definitely an 80s movie you get all of the Reagan attitudes going through it Ted sort of spends his time working and and he has a peculiar habit of reading the Bible and dancing to Pennsylvania six five thousand which comes into play in a really hilarious scene and he's had some not great luck with the ladies and has decided that he thinks instead of just getting so entranced by a woman's beauty he should look for what he calls rather plain or even homely girls that he can focus on their personality instead of just getting so caught up as he usually does of course all of these ideas of his are put to the test when his cousin Fred a naval officer played by the wonderful Chris Eigman, arrives completely unexpectedly to handle PR on behalf of a US fleet that's scheduled to arrive later. America, at the time, especially the American government, is not popular in Spain and they face a lot of anti American sentiment, which is made far worse because of Fred's insistence that he should wear his uniform when he first arrives. And he is as wild and carefree as ted is completely buttoned up so the two clash there's a definite odd couple thing going on there's also some issues stemming from their childhood together some perceived slights, and some history so there's a lot going on in the movie and it deals comically with their relationship, and of course their relationship with the women they meet, including Mir Sorvino, is one of them, but there are a handful in this movie. The two men, having starred in Metropolitan together, just have outstanding chemistry. They play off of each other extremely well, and it's incredibly funny but it also raises some good political questions and philosophical moral ones about America's role in international politics or foreign policy, and Chris Eigman is talented when it comes to extremely wordy, witty dialogue, and the film is full of it. Whit Stillman's work often does get compared to like Woody Allen in particular, also Romare's work, and even Neil Simon, which You can see a little bit with the odd couple-like dynamic between the two men. And Eigman is on a roll in this. That is what I really latched onto when I first saw the film. There is a great monologue. I mean, there are so many in this movie, but one of my favorites is late in the picture where Iggman is sort of summing up the pitfalls and his displeasure with physical therapy and then he sort of segues, takes a left turn into finding out what was going on with Ted and analyzing or dissecting the end of The Graduate, especially Elaine and her strange decisions when it comes to men. It's absolutely off the wall and hilarious and it killed me, especially the whole takedown of physical therapy because as somebody with chronic spine issues and a history of being in and out of physical therapy, I actually babysat for my physical therapist growing up and she was great and I loved her, but you know, you hate doing physical therapy and I still hate doing physical therapy. So listening to Chris Eigman kind of bemoaned the whole, you do things over and over again, was just an absolute killer. So there's a lot to recommend the movie. It's just extremely well written, so well acted, and it's my favorite Witt Stillman film. So do check out Barcelona, which you can find on Showtime, Amazon Prime, Hoopla, if your library has it, and also on Voodoo for free. Ever since the days of Chabrol, and of course, now we have Francois Ozon. There's something about the French and they're handling a psychological suspense that just makes for the greatest films in the genre, the most interesting and the most unsettling movies. One of these is one I cannot recommend highly enough, and I believe me, I have recommended this to so many people. It is Harry, he's here to help. That was actually the French title, so if you live internationally, you might find it as that. Here in the United States, we call it With a Friend Like Harry. The movie came out in the year 2000. It won a ton of Caesar awards and was nominated for the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival and deservedly so. It was made by German-born French filmmaker Dominic Moll and it was written by Moll or mole and Gilles Marchand the film would play extremely well opposite the new movie that Joel Edgerton made which is called The Gift with Jason Bateman and Joel Edgerton and Rebecca Hall That came out a few years ago. It's outstanding. It's usually available on Netflix, so check it out there, especially if you do see With a Friend Like Harry. Watch these back to back and get totally creeped out and then suspicious of like everybody you know or people you knew in the past, especially when they pop out of the woodwork, which is what happens in this movie. It's about a middle-class couple, Michelle, played by Laurent Lucas, and Claire, played by Mathilde Segner, who are taking their three girls on a trip to see Michelle's parents. He has kind of a tempestuous relationship with his father, who's kind of overbearing and is always inserting himself into Michelle's family life and his home and trying to take care of things, just basically getting out of the way. and. Anyway, they're on their way to see them at a rest stop. Michelle runs into Harry, Sergi Lopez, who is a high school or college, I can't quite remember which, because it's been so many years since I saw it last, acquaintance of Michelle's who he hasn't seen in ages. And Harry's doing very well for himself. He's traveling as well. That's why he happens upon him at this rest stop. He's out and about with his girlfriend plum played by sophie Gielman. i'm sure i'm butchering the hell out of these names and those two were on their way to switzerland but Harry gets a little sidetracked he's so excited that he ran into Michelle he asks Michelle if they can come back to Michelle's house to have a drink or something and Michelle says of course they have dinner together at the dinner they share stories about the old days and Michelle complains a little bit about his father and Harry all of a sudden remembers a short story a science fiction short story that Michelle had written for their school newspaper or magazine believe it was called the flying monkeys something like that and he was a huge fan of this story I think Michelle's a little embarrassed that he can even remember the story but Harry is extremely enthusiastic about it anyway he still happens to be there when There's a confrontation with Michelle and his father and when Michelle experiences a little sudden run of bad luck when the car that they had driven on their family trip breaks down so Harry initially offers to help the family out they of course say no 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 you don't need to do that the family is middle class but they don't have a ton of money, whereas Harry has quite a bit. And Harry just buys them a car and becomes quite the pal, but what kind of friend is he really? Is he somebody who's there to help? And what kind of help is he offering Michelle? So it's extremely unsettling. It's a very eerie, cleverly made movie that is a slow burn thriller. It does let you in on what I think in most movies would be the big twist fairly early on you know exactly what's happening but it works here and it's something that you could see somebody like chabrol doing and this movie again while i think it would play extremely well with the gift you could also kind of make sort of a french legacy triple feature (laughs) you could watch Something by Chabrol you could watch then this and then something by Francois Ozon as well. So with a friend like Harry is available right now on Hoopla which you can find through your library. If it's in your library's online system, it's another app. They have so much good stuff on Hoopla. It's kind of like Canopy, although Canopy gets more of the press and more of the credit because Canopy is like all art house only, but don't neglect Hoopla. There is some just treasures to be found on that app as well, including with a friend like Harry. When I started hosting this podcast, and thinking of the movies that i might include i created a list in the color note app i think better with color so i am constantly adding new movies that i think i should include and among the films included on this list were not one but two from filmmaker Lynn Shelton, who tragically passed away suddenly last month. It was not from COVID, it was from some sort of health condition that came out of the blue and or was discovered too late. It was very sudden, very shocking, and while I did think of recommending one or both of my favorite Lynn Shelton movies right after that, especially in her honor, I honestly felt especially if you've never seen them before that it might be a disservice to watch them just then because her films and i've actually never seen one that i dislike are extremely humanistic they celebrate interpersonal relationships they're character driven and they're filled with empathy and love and what i didn't want is for somebody, especially again if you're new to her films, to just dive in and have this sort of overarching sadness about Lynn impacting you the whole time that she would probably want you to get lost in the story that she was trying to tell and see the humanity in these characters. And of course that's not going to leave your mind, you are going to think about her and what a loss. It was that we lost her when she had so much great work ahead of her and outstanding years, and you think about her son and her partner Mark Marin. Still, it's good to have given it a little time, I think. And I've thought about if I wanted to go with the funnier one or the more dramatic film. And ultimately, I just chose my favorite Lynn Shelton movie to share with you this week, and that is Outside In it's a film that came out in 2017 you can find it on netflix and it's one i referenced weeks and weeks and weeks and episodes and episodes ago when i was talking about the duplass brothers and i talked about their career and the movies that they've made and one of the movies that i love that they were involved in as producers was outside in mark was the producer on this, but it's really Jay Duplass's film along with Lynn. Lynn Shelton, of course, directed it, and Jay Duplass, who also stars in the film, wrote it along with Lynn Shelton. In addition to Jay, The movie stars Edie Falco in one of her greatest performances that isn't from The Sopranos, of course. Caitlin Deaver, who everybody knows now from Booksmart, so you can see her before. And Ben Schwartz, who I always loved on Parks and Rec. In the movie, Jay Duplass, giving a tremendous turn, plays Chris. A 38 year old convict who is recently released from prison after 20 years. At a surprise party to celebrate his release, he reunites with Carol, who was his former high school English teacher, who became his pen pal, someone he chatted on the phone with, and became very tight with over the last 20 years, who also helped arrange his release from prison. He was kind of made an example of in a crime he did not commit. Basically he was with some friends, wrong place, wrong time, you are going to hear more about the crime, so I don't want to give that away, it gets a little spoilery further into the movie. But he never rolled over on the people he was with and they made an example out of him, as if he was the trigger man in the incident and he was not. He's overwhelmed at this party that his brother, played by Ben Schwartz, throws for him along with everybody in town essentially to celebrate his return. And he meets up with Carol solo afterwards and gives her a painted portrait that he'd made of her in prison after hugging her very closely and saying he does not need a picture anymore because Now he can see her face whenever they would want to. And it's then that she realizes the depth of his feelings and that he has a crush on her and she starts to get nervous. Carol, we realize, soon has a more complex reaction to this because she's not only married and has a teenage daughter, but the marriage is kind of on the rocks. Her husband sleeps in another bedroom, he is not interested in affection, let alone sex, or even really talking that much to her. And you get a sense that their marriage was perhaps strained not only because of her work to get Chris released from prison, but also maybe because of her feelings for him or their close relationship over the years, and perhaps she put him first. This is sort of echoed and voiced by her teenage daughter, who is played by Caitlin Deaver, who holds her mother to blame, but actually hits it off with Chris, played by Duplass, and becomes kind of an unlikely friend of his. The movie is sensitive, it's dramatic, it's just extremely tender, you really get a sense for who these people are, and there isn't a move that they make that feels foreign or inauthentic to the people that we believe they are and that's something you really love about this movie and these characters i don't really want to spoil this too much suffice it to say it is my favorite lynn shelton movie it's beautiful and more serious than some of her other comedy-drama fair. But in a weird way, this sort of feels like a film we maybe would have seen in the 1970s. But what's great about it is it gives equal weight to the male and the female character. Whereas had this been made in the 1970s, Edie Falco's character probably would have been more one-note or far more supporting. And it just would have been a film about this sort of antihero ex-con who comes in and probably just sweeps her off her feet or something where it's a little more protracted with their relationship. Again, this is all hypothetical, but I think it just benefits so much from having been not only written by Jay and Lynn Shelton, but also directed by Lynn Shelton and starring such a strong actress in the main character in E.D. Falco. I cannot believe when I was doing some research to talk about it today that the movie was shot in just 20 days. I mean, of course, independent films are usually shot in very quick succession compared to like months long studio schedules, but it blows my mind when you get a movie that i basically consider to be almost a perfect movie or as close to perfect as you can get and it was made in just like 20 days when they probably would have eagerly welcomed more time to do more adventurous things or more takes or whatever no they actually got it and that's a great credit to the people involved so check out outside in on netflix okay here's the thing i love a good gambling movie but i really hate gambling which admittedly makes it a little bit strange that a guy i grew up with published a guide to No Limit, Texas Hold'em, and dedicated it to his pals, including a gal named Jenny, who is this Jenny recording this right now. So that's always been kind of a weird little fun fact about me. But even though I'm not a big fan and I don't see the point really of gambling, I do love a good gambling movie that deals with the psychological portrait of these people who choose to basically bet everything on the roll of a die and one of the best movies of this genre is california split from 1974. it's a robert altman movie that i actually had not seen since boy I would say late 1990s when I was first trying to branch out of 90s Altman. I became an early fan of The Player and all of his other work in the 90s, but it took me a while to go beyond say nashville and mash and look for other works in his oeuvre but california split is one that i saw and i remember really enjoying it but it had been decades And over the last few weeks, I noticed people bringing up the fact that it was now available on Amazon Prime, and I added it to, like, my watch list, which is a mile long and meant to get to it, and didn't have a chance until this week, and I'd already sort of made up my decision on what my five movies I was going to recommend this week would be. Nowhere in that five was California Split until I finished this movie last night and could not stop thinking about it and thought, no, I'm going to push movie X out of this week. It's a little too heavy, and I think what we want to do is go with Elliot Gould, man. Go with California Split. The film influenced so many movies over the years. I mean, it's endless. Two that kept coming back while I was watching were Mississippi Grind from Ryan Fleck and Adam Bowden, and also Rounders which came out in the late 90s, probably around the same time I saw California Split. I wonder if I happen to watch one and then watch the other, maybe on a run of good poker movies, I'm not sure. California Split was written by Joseph Walsh, who produced the movie with Robert Altman, Walsh was a frustrated veteran actor who wrote about his gambling addiction in 1971. He did the thing where you write what you knew and wrote about gambling. His take was that nobody writes about gambling well for film. It's always too slick or too focused on, you know, beating the system or a little too edgy. He said he wrote this movie for people like him people who lived and breathed gambling and He finished the movie script and worked on it with a friend of his, a young future master filmmaker named Steven Spielberg, who was his point man on the script there for a good nine months back when it was called Slide. And it was being developed for Steve McQueen over at MGM, but MGM kept making demands to turn it into something more like The Sting or something mafia related. They also threw out Dean Martin at some point, and it was like the opposite of what Walsh wanted when he started developing this movie. They were hoping for the type of gambling movie that he hated, the too slick one, the too slick style of gambling movie that had nothing to do with reality. Then he and Spielberg took this movie over to Universal where Steven got offered Sugarland Express, his first big film, so He went off and made that instead, and eventually the script found its way to Robert Altman over at Columbia, where California Split was eventually made. Altman, of course, is known for taking a whole lot of liberties with the screenplay. He works well with his actors, they like to riff. And ad lib, and especially Elliot Gould is no exception. He is just tremendous at it. And at first, Altman got into a lot of fights with Walsh because, you know, Walsh understandably was like, what the hell are you doing with my script? But the more they got to know each other and the more he started to understand how Altman worked as a filmmaker, the more he got into it. And the result is one of Altman's great movies in his best decade of the 1970s. The movie is about a friendship at the heart of the film that develops between William or Bill Denny, played by Jorsigal, and Charlie Waters, Elliot Gould. Over their mutual love of gambling, they seem to challenge or inspire each other to become even more obsessed, go even further than they probably would if they were alone. And their relationship does have some questionable overtones that are very interesting. You could actually argue that there is something deeper going on, between the two but it is a friendship movie at its heart and this is gonna sound like a completely nonsensical observation unless you kind of know what i'm talking about here but in my eyes this might be elliot gould's most elliot gould performance george Segal, of course breaks my heart in this movie he has the more serious role whereas gould is the comic relief he is sort of the madman walking into a scene and just sizing everybody up in one of my favorite sequences. He breaks down everybody at an entire card game in Reno, goes around the table one by one and kind of comes up with who they are and their little story and how they got there, and basically paints a little psychological portrait of each man that kind of helps amp up George He even knows exactly whose chair. Seagal will be taking when that guy eventually loses his way out of the game. Goodbye, Mr. Cha-Cha. Elliot Gould knows it right away, he calls it. And Gould throughout is, of course, the biggest fan of George Seagal's character, but he also is just pure energy and he plays Seagal like a cello throughout. He calls him by his first name, William. Every other word. He, until finally he breaks down him to his way of thinking. Like gets him over to his view of things. You know, kind of the way car dealers will learn your name. Like, what's your name? And then they use it a ton of times, like right in a row. Gould has that sort of energy here, but what's interesting is it comes from a genuine place with Gould's character. It isn't him just trying to totally, you know, make a sale or one up the guy, he cares, but he knows how to maneuver his friend. And there's just a lot to love about their dynamic, how they complement each other, how they challenge one another. So it's a deceptive movie in that you watch it one way, just purely entertained. And then the more you think about it, the more you realize just how much is going on below the surface kind of like in most altman movies you're so overwhelmed by the wall-to-wall dialogue the overlapping dialogue the amount of sensory overload that just kind of washes over you and It might take another viewing or some time for you to reflect on it a little more and appreciate fully what is happening in California Split, but I think that you will. So you can find this again right now on Amazon Prime, and it might just inspire you, as it did me now, to want to dive back into Altman's epic 70s period of filmmaking. So one of the things that I learned more from writing about movies than just watching a ton of them my entire life is that when you start a movie and it says, based on a true story, or my favorite, the phrase, inspired by a true story, which can basically mean, yeah, one of our characters might have the same career as the guy in real life, but like little else, I finally realized after writing about them and doing the research that you need to be highly dubious of movies that claim to be based on a true story or especially if they say inspired by a true story because you know they're just basically fiction. And some people get really mad about that and it it's a um, admittedly a little bit irritating especially if they claim that it is based on such a true authentic story but an entertaining movie is an entertaining movie and that's my takeaway from bottle shock which is our fifth and final movie of the week that came out in 2008 from director randall miller it is written by miller jody savin and ross schwartz this is one of those that says it's based on a true story but the main event actually occurred it's just mostly fiction let's just say or a lot of it is the movie stars alan rickman who i love funny story when i was eight years old i watched die hard Basically my brother was my idol growing up and he was three years older than me so he was even a little young for this film. My dad didn't really think about that. He he joked to me later like, you were born 40, it was fine. So he showed Die Hard to my brother essentially and i just kind of sat in the room and alan rickman scared the hell out of me so for years i had nightmares about alan rickman especially alan rickman at the end of die hard like falling out of the building that was my most haunted and hated image from childhood i tell you what and it also i kind of credit it to both die hard and the fact that This was around Desert Storm time with Saddam Hussein, but I had this whole fear of men with mustaches or facial hair for, like, the longest time because of Rickman and Hussein, man. If a guy had facial hair, I just was so suspicious of them as a child. And it took years to get over that, I swear. But anyway, Sense and Sensibility finally steered me the right way when it came to Rickman and made me, along with everybody else who saw the movie, just completely fall in love with Alan Rickman. He is great in this. Bottle Shock also stars Chris Pine before he was affectionately known as one of the Chrises and the star of, say, Wonder Woman and the new Jack Ryan movie before, you know, they made that whole Amazon series with John Krasinski. Chris Pine played him. But before all that, he was in Bottle Shock just sort of a california beach boy looking man and bill pullman also stars who is a great actor of course in the 90s poor bill pullman was always getting thrown over by women except for finally he got the girl when it came to sandra bullock and while you were sleeping other stars of bottle shock include rachel taylor Freddie Rodriguez, who is marvelous in this, Eliza Dushku, who Buffy the Vampire Slayer fans are gonna remember as five by five, Faith, who was just my favorite character on Buffy. It was kind of like Faith and Spike and all the cool characters. I just love them. And also Dennis Farina, who every Midnight Run fan immediately thinks of that movie when whenever we see Dennis Farina and that's no exception. It's kind of hilarious because at the beginning of the movie it starts in France and Dennis Farina is playing an expat and Alan Rickman's character is also an expat. He's from England. Dennis Farina is from America and Rickman says Chicago when it comes to Farina because the man is just Chicago born and bred and just the accent is pure Chicago. And Farina's character, or Farina as his character, says, no, I'm from Milwaukee. And, you know, you're watching this and you're kind of thinking, why couldn't they just stick with Chicago? Because there is nothing Milwaukee about Dennis Farina. Of course, Anybody who's not from the Midwest is, like, fine with this, but it's all of us Midwest obsessives, particularly those of us, like, yours truly, who lived in the Chicago suburbs for a while, who are like, no, man, Dennis Farina is Chicago. Let's make him from Chicago. I mean, while they're playing with history, why not? Anyway, the film is very loosely based on the 1976 Wine competition termed the Judgment of Paris when California wine defeated French wine in a blind taste test. It was said that French wine was unbeatable, nobody would ever come close to the palates of French wine just being so complex and so rich. And no, nope, these kids in California won the day basically. And this movie shows how that happened or a fictionalized version of how that happened at the Chateau Montalena where vintner Jim Barrett played by Bill Pullman works along with his son Bo played by Chris Pine. Bill Pullman is the man in charge trying to keep his vineyard afloat and always like on the brink of losing his vineyard. At the beginning of the film, an intern arrives, a beautiful woman named Sam, played by Rachel Taylor, and catches the eye of both Beau and the foreman at the vineyard, Gustavo, played by Freddie Rodriguez, who I think kind of quietly steals the whole movie. His character gets a bit shortchanged towards the end of the film, but I can't really get into why without revealing a spoiler. Rickman plays a sommelier and wine shop owner, Stevens Spurrier, who is, like I said before, a British a- expatriate living in Paris. His wine shop is called l'Académie du Van. Each day he has a conversation with Maurice, played by Farina, who is a wine lover who actually has the business next door to Rickman, which is a limo tour business. And he loves stopping in at l'Académie du Van for wine tasting and tries to always get more wine without paying. It's kind of a ritual. He's basically the only customer or the only one we see for most of the movie. In order to generate more business, kind of like Jim Barrett back in California, is hoping to keep his Napa Valley vineyard afloat. Also is Steven's Burrier, Rickman, who concocts a taste test to introduce Paris to wines from around the globe. So he travels to Napa Valley before that valley was really that well known or respected and happens upon Chateau Montelena after a series of coincidences. I'm not sure exactly how it went down in real life. It's a charming film. Yes, it is not a perfect movie by any means, but it's a very charming one. The characters are just so lovable and so interesting. They pull you right into this world. And it's a movie that really will appeal with its rich, sunny, beautiful cinematography. The film feels like summer, not only because of the sun-drenched California setting, but also just the hope and the spirit in the air. I think we could all use a little of that right now. And the cast is outstanding. Of course, you don't need me to talk to you about Alan Rickman or Bill Pullman, Verena, Chris Pine. They're all great, but they all do very good work in this. And I think you'll enjoy Bottle Shock if you check it out. The movie is available for free right now on Voodoo which has a really impressive selection of titles available. I'm also always impressed by Tubi and Crackle and Pluto and some of the other apps, but Voodoo usually is the first place I will look, and. They have such a wide selection, so I do encourage you to check it out. What I love about Voodoo is they frequently have movies available to stream that aren't even in print anymore in DVD form, so you're seeing stuff you wouldn't be able to watch otherwise so just to recap this week we had barcelona from writer director with stillman the film is now playing on showtime amazon prime hoopla and voodoo with a friend like harry aka harry he's here to help which came out in 2000 and you can find it on hoopla lynn shelton's outside in is now available on netflix California Split is available on Amazon Prime, and Bottle Shock from 2008, you can find for free on Vudu. So I want to thank you so much for listening, and I will catch you next time on Watch With Jen. Thanks, goodbye everybody, take care. I am Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com, or Film Intuition on social media and Letterboxed, and this is Watch With Jen.